Way back in the day when I was uh, in the deacon formation program, it was a four-year program. This is quite a while ago now. Time flies. And it was the end of the second year. You know, every summer we went to the seminary for two weeks of intensive lecture, and then the rest of the year was spent in doing your assignments and sending them in to the respective um, uh, professors, priest professors. And at the end of each year, you would have a kind of an end-of-the-year review with the rector. So you had to sign up and, then, and sit in his office, and he had a list of questions he would ask you. And it was just determined over time that if the men had gone through the two years, if they finished the first two years of the deacon formation program, there was a very high likelihood that they would complete the whole program. And if they didn't finish the first two years, then, well, there was no chance of them completing the program. But I remember at the end of the second year, and in the second year, I had signed up, you know, coming in to, I think it was maybe Thursday of the last week, and I went into the rector's office, and he went down pretty, a very formal interview and talked about things, and, and then he finally asked me, what, when you're all, what have you gained? What, what have you done? What, what's going on with you? And I says, well, I think because of these two years, I'm stronger in my faith. And he goes, stronger in your faith. What does that mean? And I'm like, uh, uh, he goes, let's, the words that scare me, let's flesh it out. Well, I had to get used to that in spiritual direction. Well, let's flesh that out. What do you mean by that? And I was stumbling for words and trying to figure out what to say, and it always came up intellectual things. Well, I know this, and I know that, and I know that. And finally, I realized I wasn't hitting the market anywhere close. And I says, you know, I really can't put words to it. And this has vexed me ever since then. And to this day, I am still wrestling with what it means to be stronger in my faith. We heard today a little picture of a conversation that took place between Jesus and Nicodemus. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. He was a very distinguished ruler of the community, very knowledgeable man. But he didn't want to be seen by other people, so he came to Jesus by night. And he started at a very earthly level, like the Samaritan woman did. And Nicodemus comes in, and, and, and I'm sure all the other disciples were just completely blown away by this conversation. But Nicodemus comes in and he says, Jesus, we know you're a good teacher sent by God. You're a good person, teacher sent by God. Because no one can do the works you do unless God is with him. Nicodemus is placing Jesus just on an earthly realm, a special teacher like any other teachers, maybe with special powers like the prophets. And Jesus says, let's flesh this out because you don't really know what you're saying. And so he starts to raise the level of the conversation. Unless one is born anew, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus is taking back. How can someone, does someone have to enter his mother's womb again to be born? How can that be? And Jesus says, amen, amen, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Well, Nicodemus must have had quite a fit picture on his face because Jesus says, why are you marveling at this? And then he will go on to say, no one can ascend into heaven except he who first came down from heaven. Jesus is trying to raise his level of understanding that the person he thought was just a good teacher was much more than that. And then he would go on to say that this this son of man that descended from heaven is the only one that could ascend. Like the bronze serpent that everyone was raised up on a pole and when people looked on it were healed, he would be raised up on a pole so that everyone who looked to him would be healed. And then we hear kind of the central core of why Christ came. That famous John 3.16, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that everyone who believes in Him should have life eternal. Imagine Nicodemus' mind. He was down here. He started the conversation there. And by the time Jesus had fleshed this part out, he was probably just spinning. And we would learn over time of Nicodemus that he would start to grow in more of an understanding of this conversation because he stood up publicly in defense of Jesus when the Sanhedrin was trying to arrest him and condemn him. And Nicodemus says, since when does our law condemn a man before first giving him a hearing? Nicodemus would be even come to a great understanding of who this person was by telling Joseph of Arimathea, take him down from the cross and bury him. And then tradition holds that Nicodemus was baptized by St. Peter, cast out of Jerusalem, and would spend his life that way. The whole of the Gospel of John is trying to flesh out who Jesus is. And we see that our salvation is more than just having a mental knowledge of Christ and His teachings. It's more than just forgiveness. Salvation is about communion with God. And the only way to have this true communion with God is by first being born anew through the water and the Spirit. And the church from the earliest times have always believed that that is baptism and chrismation, the sealing of the Holy Spirit. And then later on, John would flesh out for us in Jesus' bread of life discourse. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. To see the kingdom of heaven and the eternal life, and all of that has to do with the heavenly realm. So John is trying to tell us all that it's more than just the knowledge about Jesus, but it's actually communing with Him, who is our God. And it goes beyond that because Jesus Christ is true God and true man. He is one of the Trinity, so our communion is with the Trinity, with God Himself. But what does this knowledge mean if we just leave it here? And we just, we didn't even touch the service hardly. How does this knowledge make my faith stronger? Well, it won't do anything if it just stays on a shelf or in a book. What has to happen is it has to become a part of who we are. 
In other words, we have to have the understanding. And the understanding has to be right if the application is going to be right. But then it is taking this understanding and living it out where it is incorporated into the very fabric of your being and dictates everything you do without you even thinking about it. Because every action you do, every word you say, everything you think is all in communion with God. That's what it means. Now, I'm still trying to flush that out for myself. And I've seen this rector. He's retired now. He has a parish a dear friend of mine, but I've never been able to come back to that conversation I had so many years ago because I would like to discuss it with him. And I will continue to chew on this for the rest of my life. If someone says to you, I've come to church every Sunday, I come to all the feast days, I can quote scripture verbatim, the whole thing. I can quote you can law if you want all that. I can go... Um, Dialogue with you about Gregory of Palamas and, and Bar, Barlam and all those things. But unless you're living the life, then it means nothing. We have to take what we know and live it. Where it dictates everything we do. Where it's just an automated response. If you come to church and you say, I do all these things and I'm stronger in my faith, what does that mean to you? To say, I am stronger in my faith, I'm solid in my faith, what does that mean to you? 